God and Other Delicacies has a weekly newsletter. If you'd like to subscribe, email me at godsdelicateshow at gmail.com and I'll put you on the list. everyone. Welcome to God and Other Delicacies. I am Nicholas D'Augusto. Thank you all for being here. Today, I have the privilege of welcoming Sherry Shepard to the show. Sherry is an actor, comedian, and television host who has appeared in countless programs and films, ranging from her time as a co-host on The View to her current gig as Principal Paula Madison on the Netflix comedy series Mr. Iglesias. She was unmasked on The Masked Singer. She played Angie Jordan on 30 Rock. She's the host of the Best Ever Trivia Show. And she's constantly touring the country doing stand-up. But to me, she will always be the delightfully afflicted Anne Flatch on our NBC comedy series Trial and Error. Maybe the only time Sherry has ever sat down in her life is when she was forced to watch me do courtroom scenes all day in oppressive heat. Her thanks? Coming on my show to get real about God. Believe me, I know she's up for it. Welcome to the show, Sherry! Nick! Sherry! I am so excited to be here. I am so excited (laughs) to have you here. I told you this before you came in this room. I told you on the text, I'm honored to have you here. Thank you very much for being here. the pleasure is all mine, and I'm excited that you asked me. Oh my gosh. This is fun. Because you know what this reminds me of is when we would be doing trial and error and we would have a little break while we while somebody else was either shooting or they were you know fixing the lights and we would sit in our chairs and you'd have your lunch in your little lunch sack <laughs> and you'd have your uh, bottled water you'd have no no it wasn't like this big Tupperware right, container right, right. your water and <laughs> yeah, you yeah. you'd bring it My with big you jug. <laughs> your jug of water it was an algae bottle yeah <laughs> <laughs> and we would sit there and we would just talk and we would just have these great talks yeah well you know Jeff often said that one of his favorite things about the show, of which he he loved. Jeff Astroff, by the way, the writer-creator of the show, um, who has been on this show before, uh, would often say that like one of his favorite things about the show was that everybody on the show was not only kind and loving to each other, but they were people who were actually of different faiths who cared yeah. about thinking about religion and thinking about bigger questions about family, a lot of mm-hmm. family-oriented people on the show. So we had a lot to share. I mean... Um, you and I were just talking about how difficult the time you had in Canada was being away from your yeah. son. And I had a young son, but yours was a different situation because Jeffrey was older. Mine was still just a little baby right. at that time. So it was hard for me, hard for him too, but he didn't quite understand. But Jeffrey was old enough to understand that you yeah. were far away. So that stuff is hard. It was That was a rough one being in Canada. I, I was fulfilled because I loved doing trial and error. It's so It's heartwarming to me when people come up and say, I loved you on trial and error. You had all those disorders. And I and they would say episodes that they liked. And I just didn't realize so many people watched the show. Now they played on a plane. I've right. had people wake me up and say, you look like that girl <laughs> on this show that I'm watching, which is trial and error. But it was still hard because Jeffrey having his special needs and being back in L.A. And I, you know, for me, you know, I would leave every weekend and go well, to L.A. you're a single mother. Being a single mom. So as soon as we finished on Friday, I was on a plane. Yeah, it was hard for you. To L.A. You know, to do, you remember I had to do a birthday party with Jeffrey. And then yeah. I, came, I would come back and shoot the show. I couldn't believe it. I was I was always just... I mean, we would talk about it on set. I was just like, I don't know how she is doing it. I mean, you you were really... I mean, I went home on, on every other weekend. Right, every other but weekend. But you, you, know. you had... You just had more kind of... You had more travel to do, and it was. I just think, and I was doing a radio show at, sure, at the same time yeah. from from three in the morning to seven in the morning. They coming to doing yeah. doing a trial and error. But the the great thing about it was, I loved what I did. So I, it was never a tiring feeling in the sense of I hate my job and oh my god I got to go to this job. I love what I do, so I'm so thankful that. If I'm going to be tired, it's because I've done something that I love. Yeah. So it wasn't really, it wasn't bad. Well, it was a beautiful memory. You know, it was a beautiful oh. time. It was a beautiful experience. And it's the ones that we're very thankful for as we talk about. And in, and it's a credit to that show that I'm here with you now, a couple of years after we finished shooting it, yeah. and I could text you and uh, be like, would you be interested in this? And you were you totally were down to come down. And I've had that same experience now with... Michael Hitchcock and Amanda Payton yes. and Jeff Astroff. So it's, I'm very thankful for it. And 
So, okay, so you're just super busy. I keep referencing this. You're always, <laughs> you are such a wonderful, you're inspiring. You're, you're proactive. You're, you're uh, very resourceful. I, I've told you that, that, you know, you're just very, and you're very talented. You're multidisciplined. You. So when are you touring, for instance, like your comedy next? Oh, wow. We're starting our second. Now, I go on the road and I headline about once or twice a month, but I'm also starting a comedy. Well, this is my second year in a comedy tour with NeNe Leakes, NeNe Leakes and Lonnie Love from the talk show The Real and uh, some other comics. It's called Ladies Night. Ladies right. Night Out. I remember you doing this. Yeah. Yeah. So they just you flew to DC for this. Oh, that's I right. I left. Oh, that was another thing you had to do at that I time. Flew to you had DC. This huge show in DC. That's right. It was like seven thousand people. Yeah, it was big. Um, it was huge. So we're doing another one. So we have about thirteen cities that we're going to. Wow. To do the comedy, which I'm 13, really thirteen coast, cities or where across all across oh, the country. Oh, we're going to Texas. We're going to New Orleans. Cool. We're going to D.C., New York. Um, I think no, we did L.A. last year, so no L.A., but just all over the country. Yeah, and cool. it will be you know one night in big arenas, five to seven thousand seats. It's amazing, and I'm really excited. And do you each do a half an hour, forty five? No, we do about twenty minutes. Okay, so you it's a few of us. Yeah, because yeah. there's a handful. So. When is it again? When is that tour it starts happening? February. Again? February. So it's February fourth. Are you going to be doing LA? I don't think I'm going to be doing LA this time around. Maybe later in the year. Okay. Because they're adding dates. Okay. So this is a really big tour for us. It's and a huge thirteen we, shows. Is a lot of shows. Thirteen shows. Yeah, we were selling out before. So yeah. now, and they're talking about going to Dubai and whoa, you know, and it's really great because it's can one I night. come? Yes, you can. Well, yeah, you're not. You know what? If you come with me, you're gonna be like, I miss Hark. Oh, That's God, true. I miss my son. No doubt. No doubt. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt about that. So it's like one nighters, which is really great because normally, when I go in headline, I have to do an entire weekend. I have to do four shows, two shows on a Friday, two shows on a Saturday, and then I have to come in the night before, uh, the day before, to do press. Right. And then I leave. So I'm gone four days. So these this tour is great for me as a single mom because it's a one-nighter. I go in Friday, I perform, I come back Saturday. Right. That's cool. Done. That's yeah. cool. Sherry. But I love it. That's so great. You're so fun. You're so talented. I love uh, hearing about you. I, it makes me tired hearing your stories. <laughs> it makes me tired hearing about your schedule. But I love it. Um, so I wanted to, I wanted to uh, ask you, what, what did you have for breakfast this morning? Oh, this is really great because uh, I cooked for Jeffrey, okay, my 14-year-old, which uh -huh. I love. And I don't like cooking, but I like to cook for my son. And so I made him, and my nephew was over too, so I made scrambled eggs with a little bit of cheese, salt and pepper, and then I made pancakes because Jeffrey loves pancakes. So I made pancakes and I made grits. Now, oh, wow. there's two ways to make grits. You can do it with salt and, salt and pepper, and that's like the dinner grits or the breakfast grits you do with butter and sugar. Okay. But because I've been off sugar since March 2018, you I know, know. I, remember. I couldn't I was find ask sugar. You about this. Oh. So I did it with salt and pepper, and then I had fried some chicken. So I did. Ooh, I used the leftover man, chicken. Man, that sounds amazing. And it was really good. Did I make anything else? And then I, um, he had water because he's not drinking enough water. So I okay. gave him water. <laughs> And that was his breakfast. And he said to me, he goes, Ma, Ma, you know, he sounds like Shaq and Peter Brady from his time to change. And he goes, Ma, this is really, this was really quite good. And I said, do you know why it was good? He's like, yeah, because you put a lot of love in it. And that's because Aww. I love making breakfast for him. Yeah. So that's what, now I made me two keto pancakes. I was going to say, are you still, are you still keeping yourself on the straight and narrow with your diet? You don't, you don't eat the things that Jeffrey eats, right? You keep, you yeah, put different really meals eat. for yourself. Yeah. So I didn't do the grits. I don't do the fried chicken. I did keto pancakes, even though I'm not on keto, but I did keto pancakes and I did eggs. And right so on. that was it. So I'm still off sugar. I mean, congrats. I mean, you look great. You, you remember when I stopped doing sugar? I remember, oh, yeah. Oh, my god, It was hard. It was hard. It was so Especially hard. when we're on set, too. I mean, come on. Like it was so hard because there was, was so nothing many but sugar, on set. sugar and desserts. And I couldn't go out to... Remember when we got to Canada, everybody went to dinner yeah. to see each other. And I couldn't go. And I remember right. Jeff asked. You were like sending like, pictures <laughs> of spinach. <laughs> I did. I would do spinach all the time. You remember? But you I were like steaming <laughs> spinach at home. And we'd be like, we're drinking wine at the oh, restaurant man. or whatever. And I remember I missed the first dinner with you guys the cast 
because I just couldn't go out to eat because I just stopped doing sugar. Right. Like only three days prior. So I had to stay in for a minute. Yeah. You were really, you were really, I mean, look, you took it very seriously because you're still doing it. You know, it was clear that you needed, you had made a lifestyle choice. Right. And you made it work and it was very difficult, but you committed to it. And, and we happened to be there at that moment. Right, that happened to be the moment while you're doing it. But you've kept it, you know, and, it's, and it's, uh, it sounds like it's been, it, it's, I mean, I'm sure it's not easy, but it sounds like it's been really rewarding for you. Well, it's been life-changing, I have to say, Nick. That's I great. I don't Tell like me to more. beat anybody over the head with anything because you have to come to decisions on your own. For sure, but, but I, I love realized, hearing this stuff. I, I mean, it just was like I realized I waited later in life to have Jeffrey. And I, I said, oh, my gosh, my mom passed away when I was four, when she was 41 years old, wow. 41 or 42. So I was in my early 20s. And that was that left a big hole in my life because I had to take care of my younger sisters. And I said, how many younger sisters? did you I have? have two. And one was still in high school when she passed away. Wow. And I said, I don't want to do that to Jeffrey because Jeffrey's not, you know, 41, 41 years old. Sherry, I'm going to be 41 next year. I know. Isn't it? I'm going to be 40 very soon. That, that's when I hit 40, I was terrified. I just started the view. I was terrified. Right. Because I just got it's like diabetes. It's probably like getting. Oh, and then you got, you got, oh, yeah. you got diagnosed with something that she, was that something that's your mother my dealt mom with? Passed away, and she didn't know enough about it at the time. Well, or? she did, but she didn't take care of herself. Oh. She just didn't take care of herself. And so when I got diagnosed, I was scared to death because I wasn't taking care of myself. Oh and my I think gosh. I told you this a long time ago when they diagnosed me, I had this um, image of Jeffrey at five years old and he was clutching his teddy bear in the dark and he was crying and he was trying to figure out where uh, heaven was because that's where everybody said mommy was. Oh my God. And gosh. that. This is like a nightmare you had or a dream? It was or just like this image. Oh, you, did, of, it was, you were just like saw it in the daytime, whatever. It I came kinda, to you. It was kind of zoned out because when I had gotten the diagnosis of diabetes, it scared me so badly because right. I wasn't taking care of myself. You're like in shock. I immediately went, this is what I did. I went to Pancake House and I had all you could eat pancakes with maple syrup. And then I had about an hour later entire pasta a pasta uh, dish, a big old bowl of pasta. So my blood sugar probably shot up to maybe two or 300. And so because my blood sugar shot up, I kind of zoned out. Wow. And in that zoning out is when I got that, that like image. And it really made me do a lifestyle change. And then as I just kind of evolved, I said, you know what, what else is stopping you, Sherry, from going to the next level? And also Jeffrey had said to me, I was stressing out. And I was eating a candy bar. This is fast forward years later. Because um, obviously I made it past my 40s. So it was right. okay. Yeah, well, but we thankfully. were sitting in the car and Jeffrey says, Mommy. And I said, what? And he said, if you die, who's going to be my bodyguard? Mm. And I said, what are you talking about? And he said, if you die, who's going to take care of me? And that was the impetus to stop sugar. Wow. Because I said, oh my gosh, if something happens to me, who's going to take care of Jeffrey? And so that was the, that, so when I think about, oh my gosh, I, I would love a cheesecake for Thanksgiving or Christmas, I have to think about the why of why I stopped doing sugar. And sugar for me, it would, um, some of the side effects of sugar are I would get cranky, it would raise my blood sugar. I was just like, you know, trying to make it through the day, tired. And when I, when I took that out, I have all this energy. Right. My mental clarity, my focus is just like through the roof. I can, I'm, I'm more patient with Jeffrey. So I can see we're taking sugar out of my life is beneficial. That's amazing too, right? Being more patient for your child. That, oh, yeah. that, that's something I've really, uh, gotten into. I mean, I didn't used to drink a lot, you know, yeah. but I, I've always had drinks around. Mm -hmm. I mean, since I was young, since I was way too young, I mean, like <laughs> you up, I'm in Omaha, Nebraska, there's not a lot else to do. <laughs> so I just get hammered. Especially when at it's like, snowing. <laughs> especially, yeah. Especially when you got older brothers who are willing to buy it for you. <laughs> Sorry, mom and dad, if you're listening, but uh, not like they don't know, but, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, it's just kind of like, it's part of your, it was part of my cultural life, yeah. you know? And then, but I mean, even just having like one drink at the end of the night now, like I wake up that much more annoyed that just a headache maybe or something and they require so much they need so much from you right yeah. away at the beginning of the day and it makes me feel bad I go oh this isn't your fault man but I'm annoyed now because I'm not I didn't take care of myself and prepare myself for you the right way Absolutely. and so now I, I so I, I connect with that that's exactly what it is I felt like with Jeffrey I'm taking this out on you because I'm trying to escape from something. Right. And I said, I got to stop. And I, I just said, you know what? It's 
really important that he's 14. He hasn't learned everything that he can learn, and I'm here to teach it to him. This is one of my assignments from God is this little boy. And yes. I just kind of felt God saying to me, I'm really spiritual like that. It's not that he talks to me, but maybe he does because he sounds like Barry White. <laughs> and I kind of felt that he was saying... That's a great God. Oh, that Barry sounds like White? Barry White. Oh, yeah, I mean, so smooth nice. and swagalicious. Mm. But I kind of felt like God was saying, I don't want you to be sick. I don't want you to go the route of your mom. I want you to be here. But there's some stuff you got to do too. Okay, well, you have... You have Perfectly segued. We've kind of talked a little longer than I normally yeah. do, but it's just so nice to see you again. We jumped in, but this is the main question. We yeah. kind of, like I said, we got into a couple of subjects already, talking about God right here and your faith and talking about your mother a little bit, things yeah. I want to get back to. But the main question that usually kicks everything off, if I don't know people, uh -huh. is uh, how and when were you introduced to the idea of God? Wow. I come from a very spiritual family. Like my grandmother was total Baptist church jumping in the aisle, screaming wig coming off. I remember so many wow. times her wig would come off when she was getting the Holy ghost. <laughs> oh, and when I was a little girl, like that's five, amazing. Leah, I, and I, it, you know, I couldn't articulate this, nor would I have wanted to say this to my grandmother, <laughs> but I would always be thinking when her wig came off, why don't you put it on better? Like, why don't you, <laughs> I didn't know about bobby pins and stuff like that. I was just like, there's gotta be a way that you can tighten up this thing on your head because every time you jump up and get the Holy Ghost, it comes off. <laughs> I never understood that. And when that I get to heaven, amazing. hopefully I'm going to be there. Uh, I will ask her. <laughs> yeah. But um, that's great. My that's grandmother great. always had us in church. Where was she from? Now you're from Chicago, right? Everybody's from Chicago. Oh, everybody's from Chicago. Everybody's okay, from great. Chicago. Okay. And we went to Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church. All right. And so, and the thing that, about church, black churches, Nick, um, you go at about nine o'clock and we would go to little Sunday school, but church lasted all day. Like they had kitchens in the basement and you would go eat dinner there. So you'd be there from nine to like six o'clock. It what? was church. Everybody knew on Sunday, you don't watch TV, no cartoons, no secular music. It was all about God. But, but what do you mean? You don't leave? No, you're always there. It was, and ask me what we did from nine to six. I have no idea, but I remember my grandmother taking that little piece of fat under your arm, oh, yeah. pinching it, Yeah, yeah. and we were not allowed to talk. We had to listen to the pastor. He screamed every 30 seconds, and the Lord says, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so that was when I was first introduced I mean, he's not God. preaching all day, right? I mean, he's only preaching for maybe It was portions. different times he was preaching, then we were in Sunday school, then we had to practice in the choir, then we would go get something to eat, then we had to go back up to a service, then my, my grandmother was part of the mother's board. That was the older women. We had to go sit with her while she had her mother's board meeting, so we were there all day. And of course, me and my sister, we were pinching each other. I would spit on her and, write, and we were right on each other's Bible. And I go, I'm going to kick your butt when we wow. get home. And I'd write it like in Hezekiah in the <laughs> scriptures. But it was uh, it was a good time. Wow. And that's when I got introduced. To so that's beautiful. God. So you so you have your grandmother yeah. right now. Did you have your grandfather as well? My grandfather was in the church. And then and then that's your mother's parents? That was my father's parents. Okay. Because I was closer to my father's side. Okay. But then my mother started studying with the Jehovah's Witnesses. Okay, so this is so good. But yeah. I want to know, you. your mother died at 41. Did your father live for a long time? My he, father is still alive. He's still alive. My that's daddy nice. daddy is still alive. That's he nice. He still signs my headshots, Sherry Shepard's dad. Oh my <laughs> gosh, how sweet. Yes, so okay. he's still here. So he's still here, and uh, that's wonderful. Yeah. Okay, so, but then your mother, they were married. They were divorced. Oh, they when were she divorced. she passed away, they were divorced. So my dad's been married to the same woman for, gosh, 23, 25 years. Okay, so, yeah. but when they, after the divorce, your mother started to go a different my mother way started, with her faith. Well, she started when they were married. She started studying with the Jehovah's Witnesses. Oh, wow. and so we kind of went that way uh, from about from 11 till about 16. Would your dad go to the Baptist church and your mother my, would go? Yeah, my dad started going. He was going to the Baptist church. Then he started going to the Kingdom Hall with my mom. Wow. And the reason why I got out of the Jehovah's Witness faith, because we used to go knocking from door to door with our watch hours and awakes on Saturday. Wow. You know, you come to the door on Saturday, and I would say to our listeners, if a Jehovah's Witness comes to your door, please stop hiding behind the curtains because we can see you. That's uh, that's <laughs> Just, my public service <laughs> announcement. We can see you. Thank you. <laughs> and um, But I got out of that faith because my dad was diehard Baptist. 
and he just wasn't with the faith and he got disfellowship, which is kind of like a excommunication. And the elders of the congregation told us that we couldn't talk to my dad anymore. Like we had to like totally cut him off. I mean, I knew this about, I, I know another um, person in my life who's a Jehovah's Witness or was raised Jehovah's Witness. I think we had talked about but Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Because like we've talked so, about this. Yeah, this is one, obviously one of the many, many reasons I was excited to have you on the show. Yeah. So learn more about this. But, but yeah, I just, yeah, he, I, he, he had a problem with like, um, he left when he was young and then his parents, you know, didn't communicate with didn't him communicate for years. With them. And it, that's a hard thing. And they're still thing. not supposed to. But they, but, but now they, they now do. they figured out how to how like to kind that, of yeah. a little bit, you know. Because it's very hard to excommunicate and somebody that you love. Like my bestest friend in the world, we've been best friends since sixth grade. She's still a Jehovah's Witness, and she doesn't advertise that she's still friends with me, but she is because we love each other so much. Right. But I, you know, that was devastating to have to tell my dad we couldn't talk to him and I remember my father had moved us from the city of Chicago we lived in a really bad neighborhood on the south side of Chicago and he moved us to the suburbs because he wanted us to have a better life and in a better school and he worked three jobs he worked he sold Mary Kay on the mm. side and Your my daddy father was, was one, selling Mary Kay he sold Mary what Kay a Nick. dude man and my daddy was one of the top salesmen what an upstanding all dude <laughs> well he wasn't that good he all, all he did was put electric blue eyeshadow on all the women, and he sold that stuff like crazy. They love my dad because my dad—you could look like a couch, and my dad made you feel like you were the most beautiful right. woman in the world. But he sold—he sold Mary Kay. He was—he worked um, as a waiter at a restaurant called Sambo's Restaurant, and Sambo's is not out in uh, in business anymore because I, I didn't know this, but at the time they had little black babies with big red lips all over the wall, and it was Sambo. And now, now. That would be racist and offensive. But oh, back wow. then, it was just like, wow, those babies got big lips. I didn't know that. So, wow. But he was a waiter. We moved to the suburbs, and it was very, it was very racist. So he, he got called the N-word all the time. But he stayed at that job, and he, was a, he turned people's hearts around because my father was so just gregarious. And people who were racist at the beginning ended up wanting to sit in Lawrence's section wow. because it was so great. He made so many tips. He became the manager. Then he then he also worked in food services at Northwest Hospital Man. in um, in in uh, Schaumburg, Illinois. So he had three jobs. He moved us to the suburbs. We can get a better life. He would have a hole in his shoe while he was a waiter. But you're telling me that I can't talk to my dad when right. I know that my dad was doing everything he could to provide a better life for us. So my mom, when she took us to where he was a waiter, now at Denny's, my two sisters said, Daddy, we can't talk to you anymore. And I remember my father breaking down crying at the restaurant. And I said, well, I can't, this is not love. I can't. So that's kind of what made me be very disillusioned with that religious organization. Now, still, the people are very nice. I don't, I don't believe in that way. I'm a Christian now. I've, I'm a, I guess I'm non denominational, mm. but I got saved in a Pentecostal church. So I do speak in tongues. Whoa. I can still speak in tongues. So in everyone's Sherry, in a while, <laughs> you are the best. I love I will this do so it. much. But, um, yeah, so that was when I was a Jehovah's witness, but I'm still very, even though I'm not, I go to church. I have Jeffrey in church. I still have my, my faith because that is what sustains me through life. Okay, this is so good. <laughs> and it is it's the time where I have to take the first break. But I want to get I kind of want to jump right back in with this stuff about your dad because that's such an inspiring part of the story. There's so much more to learn. We'll be right back with Sherry Shepherd. Okay, everybody, we're back with Sherry. So I'm really, I'm really um, intrigued, I guess is one word, but just like it's a really compelling story to hear about such an amazing, look, I mean, everybody has their faults. I'm sure your father wasn't an angel all the time. I'm not an angel. Yeah. No one is. Mm -hmm. But I mean, a guy who was the first of his generation to, you know, break his family into an area that was clearly not going to be initially very receptive to him being there. He's getting the N word and stuff like this. He's fighting right. racism. 
He's working three jobs, one that's a stereotypically female profession, yeah. right? So at, at, like at that time in particular, there was probably some stigma about seeing a man, mm -hmm. let alone a black man, um, exactly. you know, who's going around the neighborhood and he's breaking all these barriers. And then he, and then he starts, his wife takes a different turn religiously yeah. and she feels so inspired by this path that she is okay with like stopping talking to her husband basically. Mm -hmm. And that's why they get a divorce. Yeah. And then, and then you become caught in the middle. Absolutely. And then did your younger, did you lead your younger sisters out of that? Or did you, did you, did they, did they stay in it? I mean, they stayed in it. How long was this struggle and how long did you become kind of daddy's girl then at that sense? Because, you know, did you, did you have to stop talking to your mom? You know, it's very funny. You're very receptive. You, you, you glean a lot from what I said, and you're pretty correct on, yeah, on just, a yeah. lot of it, Nick. So I'm really impressed. Well, thanks. Um, yeah, it was very difficult. It was really, really difficult being the oldest and being caught between that because there was no way I could stop talking to my dad. And I knew, I understood more than my sisters the sacrifices that my father had made for me. Right. Not only those sacrifices, my father always wanted to be in entertainment. Yeah, and right. He sounds father, like he was an incredibly, and, and, and yes. no surprise, you probably get a lot from him, I am, right? I mean, you're incredibly charming. You have this gregarious nature. You probably get it from him. I feel like you know my life. I was, I'm just <laughs> listening. I'm just listening. <laughs> you are really good. Oh. Um, yeah, I'm just like my dad. And my dad, it, he was in, when he was in the service in Okinawa, he wasn't. Wow, and he fought in the war too? And he fought, but he didn't fight. He was in the entertainment division. He okay. made people laugh. <laughs> that's the Somehow that's my daddy got into like doing plays and stand-up comedy Man. for the troops. And um, I could have done that. So, that would have been my. <laughs> wouldn't that have been great? Like, I could have like, been a soldier if that was my job. Like your frontline stuff was like on stage. Yeah. I don't know what else he did. He didn't yeah. tell me, but all the pictures were him making the wow, troops laugh. Oh, cool. But he gave that up because my mom got pregnant with me and then subsequently my sister and he worked at a job that he did not like to raise us. And so right. I more than anybody appreciated, you know, the sacrifices my father made. So that was very hard for me not to talk to him. So I I, I kind of fell away. And then my mom, um, my mom was diagnosed with diabetes and she wasn't taking care of herself. We were, she was divorced. She was a single mom. We moved out here to California, which was very traumatic for me. She took you and the, your sisters and the out to California. She left my dad. And yeah. your dad's in Chicago. Oh, he cried. He was so close. My How dad, old are you? I was, uh, we moved out here in my senior year of high school, which was so traumatic. Cause you know, all the clicks. Right. Are formed. So I was Sherry. 16. It was horrible. This oh my God. This is some gosh. tough high school years here for Nick. you. Can, can I tell you, I think Please. I was such a nerd and I didn't have any friends. I had two friends. I had one friend who was a Prince lookalike. He was really weird and he dressed like Prince every single day. Right on. <laughs> yeah. It sounds fun. Andre Walker. That was his name. And uh, <laughs> one girl who just never smiled. She was like this goth girl. <laughs> so I had a prince lookalike and a goth girl. But I didn't have any friends because all of the cliques were already formed. Right. And uh, I went to school with... Um, who is Lenny Kravitz's ex-wife, Zoe? Uh, she was Bill Cosby's oh, yeah, daughter on yeah, yeah. The Cosby Show. I forget right. her name. If you remember it, tell me. I don't remember her name right now. But, but her, her, her daughter wasn't she the one that had that famous photo of? She did that movie. Remember with Mickey Rourke and like her career yeah. went to the wayside. I'll remember oh, her name. Oh, Lenny yeah. Kravitz's ex-wife and his daughter. Their daughter is a beautiful actress right now I it'll mean, come she's married uh, to jason momoa well that's what i'm saying is, yeah. is that wasn't lisa bonet yeah 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 lisa oh, bonet like and then a she was show. the one that had lenny kravitz's daughter was she was pregnant and yes. did like a kind of like provocative yes photo like this was like yes. a famous cultural photo right day, yes. yeah 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 D lisa bonet yeah, yeah graduated yeah. with me and she, i remember she sent me a text and she said i remember us graduating and i'm like oh my god wasn't even an actress thing you remember <laughs> me um she said i made her laugh but well, good. I, I mean, yeah, I you know, came, came by honestly. Can you yeah. believe it? But it was very hard for me because we had moved out here. We didn't have any friends. And That's, that is a really hard thing to be dropped hard. on you. And you're leaving your dad? And I left I my mean, dad. come on, this is tough. And my and you're mom. you're the oldest, so you're trying to be strong kind of for your Trying family. to be strong for my sisters. But guess what? You know the shining light? What? We still were Jehovah's Witnesses. We went to the Kingdom Hall. Guess who I went to the Kingdom Hall with? Who? The Jackson family. So no I, way. Yes, I used to go to Bible study with Janet Jackson, Rebe Jackson, Michael Jackson, Marlon, 
And uh, those were the ones that were still my in the house. My jaw is slapped ass <laughs> fully down to my Michael shoes Jackson right now. Michael Jackson used to go out in field service. He would wear a disguise. He would wear a beard and a hat. He probably looked like a, a one of those Jewish men with the little, uh, I don't, I. Uh, right, yeah, with the. A, a Hasidic. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're called. Right, is um, what the, that's right. Yes, but that's, I, I think that's what he kind of looked like. He would always remind me of that when he went out in field service. He'd wear a, a whole costume and so it was Latoya and Janet and Reeve and Marlon uh, not Marlon Randy because those were the four that were still at the house and no one <laughs> so Michael Jackson is knocking on doors Michael Jackson was dressed knocking. in yes. disguise yes can you believe it he lived right and this is a shirt out thing this is I was so in love with Michael Jackson so good that I would take the bus he lived in Encino off of I think it was like Havenhurst his compound, and they still have their their big mansion on Havenhurst. And uh, I would take the bus, and I would stay out there all night because I would see him at the Kingdom Hall, but you couldn't get close to him. He would sit in the library while we had the service upstairs. So it wasn't like I got to say, hey, Michael, how you doing? I just knew he was there. I would see Reby and Jan and Latoya and all of them. But I would take the bus to his house, and I would hang out all night long just waiting for Michael to come out of the gates. <laughs> And little did you know, he was coming out of the gates dressed in different disguises all the time, to and you never to recognized field him. Service. <laughs> yes. And field service, I should explain if people, don't, if listeners don't know what field service is. That's when you go out and you're knocking on doors and you're. And how often about are you required to do that when you're a Jehovah's Witness? Like how many times a month, or is it you know, is it like multiple times a year? Yeah, or? you have to put in a certain amount of hours. Now I haven't been a witness for a long time, so when I was a witness, you had to if you were a, they called it a pioneer. And that's when you commit it to a certain, like around 40 hours of going out. So there were different levels. Different levels. And so a family, we were really kind of expected to put in about 10 to 14 hours a month. Which as a whole like, family or each person? Is as a whole family. Okay. Now, as you got older, they considered you individually. So as I, I got see. to be 13, it was like I put it, I, I clocked my own hours when I was a Jehovah's Witness. But that would mean that I probably we would go out on Saturdays like around nine o'clock from nine to one. Right. And then, you know, like on a Wednesday in the evening. And that's what it was. And I would just clock my hours in. And Sherry. it was very cool. And and like I said, I got out of it. I kind of got disillusioned more so when my mom got sick. We stopped going. They were so sweet to her as she was when she was really sick. They would come to the house and take care of her. But I just found more comfort Going to church. Yeah. Yeah. So did when did you, so you, I mean, you turn 18 relatively soon yeah. after you move out here. Now yeah. at 18, do you start exerting your independence like right away? Or, you know, how long did you, when did you get out of being a witness? When was you, Probably, when did you officially like stop going? I think when I was about 18 or 19. Did you still stay in, in the house or apartment with your mom and I sisters? I still stayed in the house and my mom was still going and I just, you know, she wasn't going to put me out. I still stayed in the house. The, my sisters were still going and they kind of, once my mom passed away, they started going to church with me. But, um, yeah, it was about 18 because I remember I was boy crazy <laughs> and the elders of the congregation put me on like a, it's, it's a punishment, but it's called reproof. That's what it is. It's a private reproof where nobody in the congregation knows. And there's a public reproof. Like if you get pregnant or something like that, then they have to announce it to the congregation. So I was boy crazy and they had put me on reproof and they said I couldn't talk to boys for a length of time. And I was like, you got to be crazy. I can't talk to boys. So what they're like, they're like, they give you a sticker. They're like, you're on reproof. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, you were just acting too wild and crazy, which They're made like, me so even worse. You, so when you're next to a boy, you can't talk to him. You can't to talk him. to him. Yeah, because you got Tell, lust show in him your, your heart. Sticker. Show him your reproof sticker. <laughs> 90 days in. <laughs> Sherry. So what? You just are like, you're just like basically like kind of silently raise a finger to them or something or what? Like, yeah, I said you, it with my you, eyes. Did you try to, did you try to like be a good a good um, like witness me? at the time. No, you just sort of like turned away from. I was it, like right? a preacher's kid. I was so rebellious. Right, I was good. so rebellious. And as soon as I stopped being a Jehovah's Witness, and my mom was getting sick at the time, I just was out there. I was out there like crazy, and I had to I had to get reeled back in. <laughs> so okay, so you stay. So you leave the witnesses around your eighteen or nineteen or something. Right. 
do you get to go back to Chicago and see your dad? Do you go? Do you go straight back? Do you? you I know, would go back and see my dad every few years. He had gotten married, you know. Yeah. And I would go back every few years. I was starting to do stand up, maybe around twenty three. Did you go to college? Did you study? I didn't. You know, I didn't go to college. That was one of the big things. Being a Jehovah's Witness in the congregation that we were in, they kind of discouraged you from going to a four-year college or university. Unreal. Because they felt, now it may have changed now, but they felt that the end of the world was coming. And it's in right. lingo as, of the Jehovah's Witness. I totally forgot that this would be like yeah. a thing. I'm sorry, go keep going, keep So it's going. the end of the world and it's called, you know, it's so it was like, you know, the new system would be coming. And, you know, it was a, a new system would be, you know, heaven on earth where it was no evil and everything was good. And this this old system would pass away. And so we always thought the, the end of the world was coming. So they kind of discourage you from going to college because they felt like you should be out in, in field service. If I'm talking to you, instead of being in college, Nick, I should be talking to you about being a Jehovah's Witness so that when when Armageddon, that's what it is, Armageddon, when Armageddon came, and that's Armageddon is when Jesus comes with, with his warrior, the angels, and this old earth is gone. They would just destroy this old earth and the people who were witnesses would go on to be in the new system, and those people that had an open heart would go on to be in the new system. That's what I was supposed to be doing with right. you. Right, you're supposed to be saving every I was single to be person, saving everybody, every single day. Not as going much to college to be a lawyer, right? Or because a veterinarian. Because, because what does it matter? Like, there's not you're just you're just preparing for a time that's not going to come. That's not going to come because you're because this whole thing is Absolutely. going absolutely. And so to hell a lot in a hand of basket, and you better get saved. And that you better get amazing. saved. So a lot of and if you Google it, a lot of ex Jehovah's Witnesses will talk about how they were discouraged from going to college, and my grades were um, excellent, exemplary. I was an A student, and doesn't I want I wanted to be all. a veterinarian, but things work out the way they're supposed to. I'm not supposed to be a veterinarian, but I love animals. Yeah. And uh, I was discouraged from going to college and I really wanted to go, but I didn't. They, they, they kind of pushed me, my parents, towards a community college just to get a, a, a trade so that I could take care of myself. But the main goal was to be going out. And it, there was a term when I was a Jehovah's Witness of people who weren't witnesses were goats. And people who were were sheep. They were mm. the followers of Christ. Right. And so I was to go out and turn the goats into sheep. And that's what my main goal was supposed to be, focusing on the kingdom of God as opposed to the earthly things. So, so I didn't go to college. Oh, Sherry, this is such great stuff. <laughs> so, I mean, that would... I would be full of so much resentment at a certain point. Did you go through a period of anger about I, that stuff? Or have, did you just kind of like... You had other things to worry about, you know? Is it one of those kind of things? You know what, Nick? I guess because I'm such a spiritual person now, and I know there's a scripture in Romans somewhere, and it says, all things work together for good to mm. them that love the Lord and to the called according to his purpose. And I take that to mean that everything happens for a reason. Even the bad things, you have to find the sliver of good or light in them. And maybe if I wasn't doing something, if I was doing something that I hated or I was in a field that I just wasn't fulfilled, maybe I would be resentful. But because I didn't go to college and didn't get to go the path that I thought I was going to be going, I ended up going to a comedy club with a bunch of legal secretaries and sitting there watching Andrew Dice Clay. And a woman turned to me and she said, you're as funny as he is. Because wow. that's when he was doing Hickory Dickory Doc. I had a girl on mic, you know. And, yeah. re- and he was offending <laughs> a lot of women. Yeah, and sure. And a bunch of women right. got really mad. And I was making them laugh before the show started. And I was with my legal secretary girlfriends. And she turned to me and she said, you could do that. And I saw Charlie Fleischer and all of the, and Eddie Griffin went up. And I saw people laughing at stuff he said. And and I said, and and you know, this is why I am careful with how I talk to people because you can build somebody up with what you say or you can tear them down. Sure. And that woman planted a seed in my heart that made me go towards stand-up comedy. Wow. And it forever, I wish I knew this lady's name or who she was, but she forever changed the trajectory of my life. So am I resentful that I didn't go to college? Sometimes, like, I do want to go get my degree. I do, but I'm not resentful because I'm doing something that I love and I think is my passion and my purpose. Yeah, and, and the other thing is, as you get to this stage, you're such a successful business person. What would you go get a degree for at this point? I mean, not, that, not, not to discourage you from doing it, but right. I'm just saying at a certain point, if we keep educating ourselves and we keep pursuing 
you know, continuing to make ourselves uh, essentially students of life and achievers, yeah. you you essentially have given yourself, at least from my perspective, you know, you've achieved essentially a degree. Not that you have the paper, but um, you're you right. Know, as we in get a older, sense, like you've you at a at a certain point, you know, college is just there to get you more capable to be right. an achiever in life in whatever way, and you clearly were capable enough without college. Not that you couldn't have used some earlier direction and you didn't have to be kind of, you know, you, you, you ran into a situation where thankfully you found your way out, you followed mm -hmm. your heart and found your way out, but you could have been someone that got caught and went down the wrong road and stayed, you know, never followed your heart and Absolutely. your passion. That's maybe something you might have discovered in college. You wouldn't have taken the wrong road, but you found your way yeah. out anyway. So maybe this is... I think you're, I think you're absolutely right. As we get older, life is kind of the degree yeah. that we have. But I think that for me, because college, I wanted to go so badly. Yeah. I wanted the experience of joining a sorority. All so right. even now, all my girlfriends are sorority members, and I will go to homecoming things, and I see the bonding and the fellowship. I think I would have probably found a little bit more of Sherry maybe quicker. Um, right, okay. And learn maybe some more life skills. I think I would have been exposed to different types of people and gotten different ideas right. about life, which I've gotten now because I'm older. I'm exposed to all kinds of people and I've traveled, you know, across the world. But there's something where I just feel like I want to walk across that stage and I want to show my son that, you know, you can do something like this when you put your mind to it. That's really cool. Your comfort zone. So, so this is actually this is actually maybe more serious than I thought. Like you really do want to get this done. It's very personal for me, and plus being a, uh, a you know black woman, so many black people weren't allowed to go to college, and so you know in in our community, it was just very important to get a degree. Right. You know, even my niece is in college now, and she's probably doing it just for her auntie because mm. when she went to college, I went and signed her in. She's going to a historically black college, and I was so excited. You'd have thought it was me. And I just was like, you're the first of, in the family to go to college. And that's it's probably so much pressure on her. She's in there for engineering. Right. And I think she really just wants to be free. But it was, it's, it's just something that's so important for me to, to walk. I just want to get my degree. What would I get it in? I don't know. I probably have enough credits to graduate tomorrow. I mean, you, just, Sherry, you keep going the way you're getting. You're, you're going to get an, you're going to get an honorary degree somewhere. Probably politics. Seriously? Oh yeah. Would you go into politics? I think I, think cool. I would like to know more. That's like a great curveball. I mean, it doesn't surprise me because you're you're very smart. But I, I just it, it I didn't expect to hear that. So why? Because I think when I co-hosted the View, and I knew so that was another thing about being a Jehovah's Witness. We weren't allowed to vote, so Whoa. Jehovah's Witnesses still don't vote because again, right. Like I said, they feel like you're a, there's a scripture that says, you know, you're in the world, but you're not of the world. And they felt, yes, we live in this world, but we're not we're not about this earthly system of justice and law because we answer to a higher law and Armageddon is going to come. So I, so with, they don't get caught up in all of this. Um, what's going on today and what's going on now. I feel completely different. But when I, when I first co-hosted The View, I knew nothing mm. about politics. I made so many flubs and tearful, you know, um, mistakes to Howard Stern talked about me. Bill O'Reilly called me a pinhead. Bill Maher that's, said they should fire me with to a be stupid stick. So, wow. Was, what was the last so, one? I'm sorry. I talked right over it. Bill Maher said I should be fired with a stupid stick. What? Because... I made a flub and said, I didn't know if the earth was round or flat. That was a brain fart. I, I, you've told me about this one before. Uh, yeah, we talked about this, but I mean, but politics, I'm I just didn't know. And, and so to have Barbara Walters look at me and go, don't, you don't know anything about the, this world? And that was because I was Jehovah's Witness. We didn't vote. So I never learned about it. I, I learned about politics when I was on The View. That's when Obama first ran. And I had to literally sit and through my flubs and people talking about me, and that hurts when people call you stupid. And really, Google. For sure, you're going what, this. In a, you're doing things that I was learning in college. You're doing it in, uh, in, in, a in huge public show on a on a forum with you know millions of people watching every day. I had to learn, and that was painful. And I had to learn what is the two party system? What is the House? Uh, what does the Senate do? What is the, what are the branches? Why do we have uh, why do we have electoral electoral college? What what is what is you know um, Ukraine have to do with us? Why are we? I had to learn all of this stuff wow. 
by myself in my apartment after Bill Maher said I should be fired with a stupid stick or Bill O'Reilly, you know, called me the pinhead and people made fun of me. Wendy Williams said I could be replaced. What did Wendy say? She said a paper bag could replace me. So, so for me now I love talking politics because I learned it and I love in my day with I'm on the computer reading about politics and I'm up on everything and I vote. I wasn't able to vote. I voted the first time with when Obama ran and I took Jeffrey in the booth with me and wow. I cried. We almost became Republicans because he almost hit that wrong button. <laughs> he was having a temper tantrum at the time and we almost went the wrong party. That's, in a, my, br- in my <laughs> that's a brutal mistake to make on your I first was like, vote. What are you doing? Don't touch that lever. But I learned about politics and how voting affects my son and I and how voting affects my community. And so for me, going to college and learning the nuances and, you know, more about politics and the history of it and how it relates to me as an African-American woman, I just, I want to do that. (laughs) That's really cool, man. I mean... You know what? This is actually a really good place to take a breather, but I loved hearing that story. I don't, I feel like I have three different things I want to ask and I don't know oh, which yeah. one to start. So I'm going to think through that. And we're at our last break. We'll be right back with Sherry. everybody welcome back um sherry i was just telling you at the break i was like i want to talk to you more about that experience you went through on the view but on some levels i feel like you've kind of answered a lot of my questions about it i mean you were really honest about what what you experienced another and i think i want to get back to this question which is i still feel like i want to know more about the final story as it came out you know, with your, with the death of your mother and then your, and the, where it left you and your sisters. And did your, did you, are your sisters, did either of them stay a witness? No, they're both Christians. Okay. They both go to church. And did that, did that officially happen for them after your mother's death or did they, yeah. like, did they kind of stay in it for a while as long as your mother was in it? And then when your mother died, they kind of like were able to leave it? I think they kind it wasn't that they stayed in it. They just didn't know. We were taught that going to a church was wrong. That, you know, the church is basically, you know, not the true uh, religion. It was being a Jehovah's Witness. So kind of was like a superstitious to go to a church because we kind of felt like it was from the devil. Wow. So we I mean, that's amazing to say that like a Baptist church isn't Christian enough. Yeah, isn't, isn't, Christian, isn't, yeah. isn't religious enough. Because Jehovah's I Witnesses mean, can you just, are Christian. I, I, just like it just blows my mind sometimes. Yeah, and I don't think a Jehovah's Witness will say it's evil, but it's there's different fundamental differences with the Christian faith and being a Jehovah's witness, you know, number one, Christians believe in the Trinity, the God, the Holy spirit and Jesus, right? It's three separate people, but they're one Jehovah's witnesses do not. So what that's do they a big believe? fundamental difference, you know, uh, what's the core, what's the core difference there? What is, what well, do they because, don't believe uh, in a Holy Jehovah's spirit? Witnesses, if I, if I remember the scripture, Hebrews 11, one says, uh, in the beginning was the word and, in and, um, and the word was God. That's what it says in the in the Bible that the Jehovah's Witnesses use. And in the Bible, the new translation of the King James Version, any of the versions of the Bible, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was a God. Mm. So that, that little A makes it makes it separate. Mm. So um that difference of the Jehovah's Witnesses believe you have God and you have his son, Jesus, who is actually Michael, the archangel. And then you in the Holy Spirit is part of God. It's like the breath of God, the Holy Spirit. Really? Michael the Archangel is it Jeho- Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus and Michael are like are the same. They're like he's Michael reincarnated or something right. like that. So he yeah, he was Michael and he came down as Jesus. Whoa. And so I didn't know that. Christians now ask your friend if it has changed, because that's what we were taught. And then over here, it's like the Holy Spirit is a is an actual kind of person 
who can help you, you know, do things. And Jesus is a person and God is also Jesus's father, but they're still all one, but they're three individuals. So right there, you got what we're believing in the Trinity and the Jehovah's Witnesses are not. Also, just your holidays. You know, like my girlfriend, when I tell her, we, I like, I just, my, my, my Christmas movie aired yesterday. And oh, yeah. She, she I, can't forget, watch I forgot it. to mention this. This is the Twas the Chaos Before Twas Christmas. Twas the Chaos Before Christmas. And so she will not watch it because it's a Christmas movie. Wow. You know, and so going back to celebrating holidays was something that I was very scared to do. You know, celebrating a Halloween or a Christmas or birthdays. Wow, right. Of course. This, you know? And um, this guy, he doesn't even, uh, he, you still are not supposed to give him presents on his birthday. Absolutely. Even though he's not a Jehovah's Witness anymore. But he's still, you still have those tenets in your mind. Yes. And you still think, so even if you ask me, uh, Nick, what is Easter? I kind of don't know wow. because I never really got into it because I still remember we never celebrated Easter. Right, right. So I never really, I, you know, I still some of those things are in my head of being a Jehovah's Witness. Okay, that's great. So, <laughs> so... How old are you when you are like in this office hanging out with these uh, women and uh, they tell, and one of them tells you like you could do this as a comedian? Like, you know, how old are you? I was in my 20s. Okay. I was in my 20s. And this is the first time that you start going out? No, you you had kind of like- I was a legal secretary and when I left- I, I had this thing and I called all, all of the eight secretaries that I had gone with. And I said, do you think this is something I can do? And seven of them said, no, it's going to take you 10 to 20 years to make it. You're not going to make any money. You make a great Man, salary. Isn't that amazing? I was making 41,000, including overtime as a legal secretary. You got your 401 pension. No, don't do it. Cause when you're in the business, you starve. And the eighth woman, Danetta Thomas, she said, Sherry, if you don't try it, you'll never know. Mm, and that's been great. my mantra. Thank if you, you don't Danetta. try it, you'll never know. And consequently, Danetta, because of me, when I when I used that and that was my impetus to do it, she quit being a legal secretary. She always wanted to be a real estate agent. She left LA, moved to Arizona. Now her face is on billboards everywhere. And she's one of the hottest real estate agents in Arizona because of right me. I love on. her. But uh, that was my impetus when she said, you'll never know. And I... Borrowed money from all those secretaries, even though they told me not to do it. They believed in me uh, because my check was always getting garnished because I thought the Armageddon was coming. So I never paid my bills. We'll have to do another podcast when I tell you I went to jail for eight days. I already told you. Like You told uh, me this often. I, I remember this, but I because I, thought, I thought Armageddon was coming and I never paid my bills. And when I would get tickets, I'd throw them in my glove compartment and Armageddon never came and I had warrants and I went to jail for eight days. But that's me. Um, you know, real, but, Sherry. <laughs> so they were always garnishing my God, check. This, I love this and story. I, <laughs> I started stand-up comedy class. It was $600. And I didn't have it because gar- the IRS had garnished my check. But every single secretary that told me not to do it gave me money. And they invested in me. And I took a comedy class with Judy Brown. And I learned not how to be funny, but to take those little things that people laughed at and and craft them into a joke and how to hold a microphone. And I made my debut at a comedy club in Encino called La Cabaret. It's gone. And every secretary and lawyer at the law firm came to see me. Wow. Perform. And that was the first time I got on stage. And my first joke was... I was dating a man and Valentine's Day came and he came home and I said, babe, where are my flowers? And he said, I was going to get you some flowers, but the light turned green. That was my (laughs) very first joke. I love. And when I heard people laugh, I never stopped. I never got off the stage. Sherry. And those secretaries and lawyers supported me. They've all come to both of my weddings and they are my biggest fans. I have brought one, I brought one of the secretaries onto the view. She had uh, breast cancer and I was able to bring her onto the view to talk about it. And my lawyers that I used to work for became my lawyers. You know, when I incorporated, they've always supported me and they're still there, but they've always stood behind me and believed in me. That's amazing, (laughs) Sherry. It's an amazing story. I mean, It takes a lot of guts. I mean... You have to step past the fear. This is a business that we're in. It's a lot of fear. And you have to... I say, if it scares you, run towards it. That's mm. been my mantra for mm-hmm. life. Why I do things like a mask singer when I know good and damn well I can't sing. And, right. you know... But you had there, fun. But I had fun but it, because it scared me. And why, why I did a Dancing with the Stars because it scared me because I'm not a dancer. 
And that's just been everything in life. If it scares me, I'm going to go and run towards it because you have the most wonderful experiences. Even if you fail, you have an experience and you have a memory. And at least you can say, I tried it because mm. failure just is an opportunity to get back up and try it again. Right. It's when you don't try it and you stay in the fear, then you never you 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 don't know. It's always a what if. I mean, you have an amazing resilience, you know, and, and you must get that from your dad, too, because your dad clearly had an amazing resilience. You I know? got it from my dad. I did. I mean, clearly. I and mean, I that gotta, dude just sounds like I just it's a different time. And it, first of all, it's a totally different life experience. Right. I'm a, a white kid grew up in suburban Omaha uh -huh. and he was a black guy, you know, that moved yeah. out to the white suburbs to try to make a better life for himself. I mean, that's first of all, something I can't. I can't intuit that. Yeah. But then beyond that, it's just a dude who was like, I, at the same time, my father worked hard. I mean, I can, I can mm -hmm. also, I can see that the generation of a guy who didn't come from any money and had to work really hard, right. sacrificed a lot to make something for his family. That is, is a universal Very, thing. Absolutely. And, and so, you know, that's just really impressive. Uh, you know, it's impressive to hear about that. And clearly you got, you got a, you got that from him because you, at a young age, you know, you're wrapped into some really strong, interesting um, worlds. I mean, it's... Well, I will say this about my dad. Um, I love him so much. My dad is... Now he's Alzheimer's. I'm sorry and to so hear that. It's, you know, it's so funny because I get up on stage and I talk about it and make it funny. And I, I relay a story to the audience of my dad was always a fighter. He grew up in the inner city in the projects of Chicago. And he always had to fight. He wore glasses. He had to fight. And so I remember running home from a fight because a girl beat me up and I ran. My sister jumped on her and bit her in the back. She was like a pit bull. But I ran and even left my sister there. And my dad m made me go to the girl's house and fight her again. And Whoa. him and my mom, took they had a wine cooler, pink champagne. And they took the pink champagne and the other parents and he made me go fight this girl. And I'm thinking in my head, okay, I got beat up the first time. So now you're making me go get beat up. The set. Like, what am I supposed to get from this? I was so mad. And they sat there and they put on some Marvin Gaye or Al Green. And my father said to me, and if you run, I'm going to beat you behind. Like, you, we, shepherds don't run from a fight. So I had to fight this girl. Like, freaking, it was like 300, like Spartacus. I got beat up again. She, Tammy Lou Zavardi. She beat me up again. And I remember I was crying. And my dad came and he said, I'm so proud of you. And I'm looking up and I'm going, what are you talking about? You're proud of me, dad. And he goes, because when life kicks you in the butt, you'll get back up and you'll fight. Wow. And you're not going to run. I never got that. Now I get it. I get it. Exactly what he was talking about. Wow. And I think <laughs> it was kind of a crude way to do it and a little bit of a barbaric way to do yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> it's harsh. <laughs> but wow. I get the example. And I really appreciate my dad even now when he tells me when he, like if he talks to you now Nick he'll go I could have managed my daughter I was going to be my my daughter's manager but I decided to step back and he'll tell you that story 24 times <laughs> <laughs> you know so I really um wow. have an appreciation for my father and I see why I make such sacrifices for my son because at the end of the day I want my son to look up at me and say my mom number 1 I was her priority yeah I was her priority and she and also but she did what she loved because I hope that my son will do what he loves because I my dad didn't. He did things that he didn't love so that I would be here to do what I loved. So I honor that man and I'm so thankful for the things that he taught me even now in, in his, you know, state where sometimes he can't remember things. But he's a great guy. Yeah. He's a really great guy. <laughs> wow, Sherry. I've always been so impressed by you, uh, you know, getting to know you on the set. I mean, of course, I've never gotten to know you outside of that. But I was always yeah. thankful that one of my great joys of being on set was that I was on set all the time. So I got to know everybody. Absolutely. But you, you just, I'm so happy that you came in to talk about this because there's a lot, you're just filling in a lot of these stories uh, that I didn't know before. But it's such a... I keep saying that I'm impressed because it's, I think it's because I had it a lot easier, you know, I think. But it's a, di it's just a different experience. I don't know if anybody's harder or 
it's it's different, you yeah. know, and with the, which is the beauty of people being friends, you know. And I think one of the other things of, about my father is he was always grateful. And even in him sacrificing and not being able to do, I think that's why we always have to look at the bigger picture. It's not always about us. Because had he not done, did what he did, I don't know if I'd be doing what I'd be doing. Right. right. Had he gone the route that, you know, so maybe in that thing of God has, every, he's got a plan for everything, no right. matter what, is that he knew, yeah, son, you're not going to get to do this because the generation that comes after you, I got a plan for, for right. that girl that is your daughter. Right. You know? And I think my father, if you asked him, he probably would go, I'd do it all over again, that same exact way. Wow. You know, so that, so I don't know, in this whole big system of things. What, oh man, that's great. I mean, I kind of, I don't want to end. I don't have to end yet. <laughs> Show's not, I still got- But you got to go get dinner. No, you gotta got to wake up hard. <laughs> I got, yeah, exactly. Uh, he, I wonder if he is awake right now. My little boy's taking a nap while we're doing this uh, interview. I have five or six more minutes, so I'm going to take okay. it. One question I wanted to ask you, I don't exactly know which way this is going to take us, but um, you have such a a hopeful story. What moments in your life, or was there a moment in your life where it was, where it was the most kind of like despair, where like some of these things, because on some levels, you know, you have, you talk about a lot of challenging things. Mm-hmm. So in some ways, it's like, from my perspective, I was like, boy, you could have, you could have been despairing a lot. Right. You know, I mean, you had a lot of challenges, but also, and I know some of this, some of this is more public, right? You right. know, this was stuff that got yeah. aired on The View and stuff. You had yeah. a d- divorce and stuff like that. That was very public. Yeah. And you, you and I have talked about that outside. We don't have to go down all that road. I don't, maybe that's the story, but I guess I'm just asking because you have such resilience. I wonder, I wonder when you think back at the moments where you were, you know, is there a moment where you're like, that was the hardest moment? There were two moments. Um, one was when Jeffrey was born at 25 weeks. Right. I remember talking to you about this. He was super because, early. Because my yeah. son was early, but not that early. Yeah. He was He was born at 25. He was a pound, 10 ounces. Yeah. My wedding ring fit on his arm. Wow. And they told me. I mean, that's shocking. It, it was so oh, crazy. And they told us, because we were going to pull the plug, because they said, Jeffrey, he had brain bleeding on both sides. He was going to have to have shunts in his brain. They said he would have severe cerebral palsy. At the time, they were using the word retarded. We don't use that word anymore, but he would be mentally challenged. Um, he probably wouldn't be able to walk. And we decided to, and I had lost his twin sister when I was pregnant. Uh, so we oh, decided to pull right. the plug. I forgot about that. And God came through with a miracle, literally, before they were going to pull the plug. Um, he, had a, he had a hole in his stomach, and uh, his, his intestines were becoming septic. And it was all black and blue and bruised up and he couldn't move. And I remember going in and his dad said, son, your mother's here. Now, Jeffrey couldn't move before. He was completely comatose. And his hand came up and gripped the ventilator, too, when he said, your mom is here. And then we put a little outfit on him because they were going to disconnect the breathing tube so he could take his last breath in my arms. And I just was crying, going, Lord, you know, I've wanted this child for so long. This is such a miracle. And gosh, and and we're sending him to heaven. And so right before they're going to disconnect the ventilator tube, the head of the neonatal intensive care guy, the chief guy, came in and said, we did another ultrasound and the hole in his uh, intestines is healed. It's cleared up. So his stomach was completely brown. I call it my little chocolate drop. (laughs) No bruising, no nothing. So we didn't pull the plug. But they told us he would be in a wheelchair, all this other crazy stuff. And I remember his dad said, Whatever package he's wrapped in, we'll we'll take it. And my son doesn't have cerebral palsy. He's not mentally challenged. He has developmental delays. So cognitively, there's some there's some uh, quite a few issues. But he is a fighter. This boy is so smart. And sometimes I go, I don't even know if something you got any kind of special needs. I think you just been <laughs> scamming me. But um, he's such the light of my life. I didn't talk for a year. Because I just didn't know how to deal with this boy who was having seizures in his brain and wow. all this stuff. And he was four pounds when he came home. And I was just in despair. And my dad said to me, he said, you got to take the sherry. I said, I don't think I'll ever be able to smile again, Dad. Oh, my gosh. And my dad said, you got to take that sherry that everybody knows and loves, put it on the shelf with the fine china and just be a mother. And so for a year, I just doted on my son and learned how to deal with this boy who's very unique. 
Mm-hmm. When he plays soccer with the other kids, he's on one end of the field break dancing. And I've learned <laughs> everybody else. I is mean, running. I know Jeffrey. He's you, you awesome. know Jeffrey. Yeah. And uh, I mean. I'm learning to say, Jeffrey, you gonna break dance. You gone, baby. You know, when he's running track, we was at the track team when we were in Jersey. They were running one way, Jeffrey was running the other. And I said, You don't hit the light pole. He'll be he'll finish the heat when he finishes. And I've learned to embrace every unique challenge about my son wow and he's very funny and he's intuitive and he's just different and i've learned to say that's okay he met john lithgow and Mm. john leaned into him and he had given jeffrey a book and jeffrey goes you look older than in the book and i was like oh my gosh (laughs) john says you're very intuitive (laughs) like the fact that you noticed that and i'm like wow you put a spin on it john which is why i love john lithgow yeah that's right and uh that was one where I was just deep in despair. But yeah. God gave me what he felt I needed. I'm such a nurturer. And then the second one went is when I went through my second divorce. And the public thought one thing about me. And I knew it wasn't true. But literally God again in his very white voice said, be quiet. I will defend you. So I never got back and, t- you know, it wasn't a back and forth. It was just very brutal with fans saying, reading little tabloid things and saying I hate you I'm not going I'm not a fan you're a horrible mother you're to have to take these things it was just awful but I worked my way through it there's always a light at the end of the tunnel well you're very you're a very optimistic person and and that's very clear I, I think it's um it's really shocking to me I think I gotta say it's kind of terrifying to me like how much of your life has been lived in front of so many people, yeah, you know, I mean, we both are in a, we're in a public mm-hmm. profession. I'm not, it's no surprise, but it's not like if I did something or said something wacked, wacky or something, right. uh, but I'm very cautious, cautious. I'm mm-hmm. very, you know, and you, you went on a show and it's almost like you didn't even know what you didn't know. Maybe like you're right. such a, you're so funny and so charming. Like it makes sense why you would be on the show, but in some levels, like you I was clearly so you, did, you didn't you didn't know about certain things, yeah. and you were set up to be to be hurt in some ways, yeah. and to have to do all of that in front of millions of people of is really it, it's really uh, turns my stomach a little bit to think about it being happening to me, and yet at the same time, here you are, like you're not afraid to be out in front of people that, that has not ever that has not ever penetrated you enough to like make you quit or anything. I mean, that's so clear. Cause I, I think Nick, I have found as I get older being the age that I am, as long as you're alive and you can wiggle your fingers and toes and get up, it's always another chance. Mm. It's always another chance to get it right or do something different. It's, you know, and, and it's so little life is too short. And you, you realize as you get older, that very thing that was so, you know, big, it's really so tiny. In the microcosm mm. of life, it really is a little thing. You know what's important? The people that you love, the people that love you. You know what's important? That little boy that wakes up and goes, Daddy. Mm-hmm. That's the most important thing. That's right. And I learned not to pay attention to people because as long as my son is the one that's going, Mom, I love you. Mom, I love these pancakes. When my dad, when he says, I'm proud of you, daughter, that's all that really matters. Yeah. Everything else is just like, uh, it's like a little gnat on my arm. And that's what I have learned. And so I can get up and smile because the things that are, you have to figure out what's really important. And once you know the why, everything's all, it's gravy. (laughs) Sherry, I love you. Thank you so much for being here. This is great. man. Now I got to go see Harkin. All right, let's go. Let's go see if my son is awake. (laughs) Hey, everybody. Thank you all for listening.